0: Hi, this is Jim Martin. This is my encouragement note for 82. The list of five. Number one, when you wonder if you're good enough. Perhaps you like me. Am I enough as I attempt to be a parent to my two daughters? Anne Lamont speaks of how eventually we have to let our children grow up. She says they have to find their own ways and their own answers. You can't run alongside your grown children with sunscreen and chapstick on their hero's journey. You have to release them. It's disrespectful not to. David Zoll in his book, Seculosity, suggests that this tendency on the part of parents may have more to do with our own issues. He writes, the most overt and probably most damaging expression of the secularity of parenting occurs when parents lean on their children for their enoughness. For some, a child's acceptance into an elite college may help that parent finally feel like they're enough. After all, my child got into this particular college. This may be the same parent who either hovers over them or attempts to bulldoze any obstacle that might be in their child's path. Of course, there are parents who refuse to hover or bulldoze. They understand that a child's failure can actually help develop resilience And yes, it's tough to see your child strike out in the game. It's even tougher when your child seems to be in a batting slump and strikes out again and again. And yet this child may be learning resilience in the process. She may be learning that she isn't fragile and can do hard things. We parents in our insecurity often worry. We may worry not so much about our child, but what other parents might think about us. What if they think that in some way we do not measure up as parents? Perhaps the even deeper fear, David Zoll suggests, is that others might think we don't measure up as people. The truth is you have no control over what another person might think of you. In fact, a parent may eventually learn that all of the hovering and bulldozing really doesn't work. Your children are not more likely to turn out right if you're tense, stressed, and stay on them all the time. Your children are not more likely to turn out right if you spend your time and energy comparing yourself to the parenting of others. Your children are not more likely to turn out right if you are the perfect parent. We may be committed to our children but they're no perfect parents. Rather, the best thing we can do is to rest in Christ and fiercely love our children. The good news is that we are enough in Christ, and this does not depend on how our children might turn out. God loves you deeply even when there are days when you fall short as a parent. Your enoughness is not based on whether or not you function well as a parent today. It's based on God's love. And your enoughness as a parent is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. You are enough. Number two, how did I become me? First, two stories. I remember one particular evening at the United Parcel Service Hub in Dallas. A group of us were about to begin loading delivery trucks in preparation for delivery the next day. Before the shift began, an executive who had just moved from New Jersey wanted to meet with our group. He was well-dressed in his mid-forties and very articulate. At one point, I said something to him that came out wrong. He said nothing, but he looked at me for a few moments. I felt embarrassed and all my old insecurities seemed to bubble up in that moment. And second, I, I recall, sitting in my in-law's dining room table in Florence, Alabama. I was reading about various seminaries, trying to decide where I might go to school. My father-in-law walked into the room. He looked me in the eye and said that he was confident that I was capable of anything. This genuine expression of confidence me. Now, both of these events are a part of my story. If you were to describe how you became you, what would you say? For example, how did you become so tender hearted? Did you grow up with tender hearted, compassionate parents? Or did the Lord have to soften a very hard heart over time? How did you become so cynical? Were you hurt and disappointed by someone you trusted and loved deeply? Was this a a so-called Christian person? Was this a church leader who spoke one way behind a live microphone on Sunday morning, but then was curt, rude and a bully in an elders meeting? How did you become so loving? Was this self-giving love modeled for you at home? Did your mom or dad show you again and again what it means to demonstrate a fierce love for you? And then how did you become so insecure? Did someone in your early years laugh, mock, or belittle you? Were you told you just don't measure up? I've been thinking about the question, how did I become me? And while I had particular influences in my life, my life cannot uh, be summed up in blaming others, nor do I want to naively think that somehow I'm self-made. So how did I become me? Well, first, my past sins. Immature choices, selfish endeavors were factors. I look back at my life and see many choices I regret. I'm thankful that God in his grace accepted my repentance and washed away my sins with his abundant forgiveness. And then wonderful, godly women and men helped shape me. My mother and dad, as well as Charlotte's parents, were important. Friends like Steve Cadera, Doug Cricklin, Bill Petty, and others came alongside me. Mentors helped shape me. There were people such as Lynn Anderson, Charles Coyle, and Ken Dye. When we lived in Waco, I would periodically drive to Fort Worth to have lunch with attorney and former minister John Allen Chalk. We talked about life and ministry. All of these people made me better because of their encouragement. And third, God's saving grace has forgiven me and continues to shape me. I became me through the work of God in my life. Not only has he forgiven me, but he continues to make me into the person he has called me to be. God has redeemed my brokenness and has given me the very life of Jesus And this has made such a difference in my marriage and in my life as a parent. What about you? How did you become you? Next, four reasons you can be encouraged today. Psalm 73, 23 through 26. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Four reasons you can be encouraged today. Number one, God gives you security. You hold me by my right hand. The world calls you to place your security in your financial investments, your youth, your physical beauty, and or your job title. And yet you and I can actually find our security with God. He holds your hand and. Will you. Consider those times when you're like me. You've awakened at three o'clock a.m. full of anxiety. Oh my goodness! What am I going to do about? Just fill in the blank. Yet God is present with you. God gives you direction. You guide me with your counsel. God will give you guidance, direction, and wisdom. It is not up to you to figure out life on your own. God is with you. And then third, God gives you destiny. I love that phrase, leading me to a glorious destiny. No matter what you might experience in this life, ultimately things are going to be all right. There will be resurrection and a new tomorrow. And when it seems like there are no options, remember that you have a destiny that is a gift of God. And finally, God gives you strength. God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. You may be discouraged and disheartened, you may be overwhelmed by all the obstacles you are facing, but God will give you the strength to navigate through the hard days and nights. Do you need to hear this today? I do. And then, in this list of five, number four is you can take a step forward in your leadership. And this is especially for ministers and church leaders. A group of people, perhaps ministers and or elders, meet together. They're discussing a particular project. Some have deeply held opinions and emotions. At some point, the meeting seems to go off the rails. A few tempers flare. Someone makes a cutting remark insinuating that a minister's motive is impure. This person continues to speak while the others in the room remain quiet. No one seems to have this minister's back. It's a pretty awful experience. And yet such meetings could be quite different. But a few questions seem important. First, is it possible for those of us who serve as ministers or elders to bring a less anxious presence to others? Than I don't mean a less anxious presence as a technique to use with people. Rather uh, This is an authentic way of being present and not allowing your anxiety or the anxiety of others to govern your behavior. And then how do we cultivate the real spirit of leadership? How can those of us in churches encourage others to lead instead of discouraging them from leading? And then fourth, what do we do when our own brokenness seems to get in the way? Often this brokenness is displayed in the works of the flesh. You begin to see in ministers or elders such things as, quote, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. That's Galatians 5.20. Yet far too often there's no repentance of these behaviors. Instead, some make excuses such as, well, that's just the way he is. Or they remain silent about the misbehavior, not even acknowledging that what was just experienced was wrong and not of God. And then fourth, how can we allow the fruit of the Spirit to thrive in our leadership? Can others be in our presence and sense God's presence? Does the fruit of the Spirit seem to permeate our conversations? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Many ministers, church leaders are good people who display the fruit of the spirit in their leadership. And yet others have diminished their credibility and influence by allowing their brokenness to run rampant, damaging individuals and relationships. As a result, others may not remember the redeemed self of, of a particular minister or elder. Instead, they may remember how they were manipulated, hurt, and disillusioned by that person's own brokenness. So where do you begin as a minister? Begin with yourself. Number one, are you allowing other godly people to mentor and shepherd you? Second, are you accountable to a group of believers who will help you in your spiritual journey? And then finally, are you bringing your redeemed self to your minister group or elder group? Are you being fully present with others in full surrender to what the Spirit wishes to do in your life? The final part of this encouragement note is etc. Just some listening and reading resources. Thanks so much for listening or reading this encouragement note. I always enjoy hearing from anyone one of you. Uh, if you'll just write me at jmartin9669 at I hope you have a great week.